I am not Justin Holland. Some of you are very surprised uh, to see me up here. Maybe some of you got the, the notice. But interestingly, yesterday on Christmas, um, I was minding my own business, riding uh, the mountain trails with my son Cody and my wife Jamie, and had not responded to a single text message yesterday. I had purpose that I wasn't going to open up all those gifts with the tree and Merry Christmas and wasn't going to communicate with anybody, just be all in with my family. And it was probably, I don't know, 3 o'clock p.m. yesterday. And um, I'm riding along the trail right by the bypass. And I, you know, my phone just kind of uh, beeps. I'm like, I wonder who that is. And I had ignored 35 text messages up to that point. And then when I pulled out my phone, I saw that it was Justin Holland. And I noticed that it didn't say Merry Christmas. It was something like, hey, I need something. Um, and so I opened it up and sure enough, Justin said that he had the symptoms of the flu and that he didn't believe that it would be good for him uh, to come and share that with everyone at Mountain View. And so uh, he asked me if I would be willing to come and preach the word uh, to you guys this morning. And so, uh, you know, I said, absolutely. I know that if I was in the same boat that he was in, I would I would love for somebody to, to be able to take my, my place. So I'm Ryan Limbaugh. Um, if you don't know it, you support me as a campus missionary to the Chiha Valley with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. You guys are incredible supporters of FCA. I know that you pray for us. Tucker Winfrey is a partner with me uh, in that ministry. Love working with him and with Liz. And uh, just am a huge fan of Justin and Lauren as well. Uh, Justin volunteers with us and does an amazing job on school campuses, specifically at Alexandria and Anniston. And so I'm thankful to be here today, and I'm thankful to be able to open up God's Word. Now, I asked Justin, what, um, what, what series are you guys in? What are you doing? Because this is what I know. I, I've, uh, I've been a pastor. I was a pastor for many years, and I'm a big believer in consistency. I'm a big believer in we're, we're headed somewhere. Where are we going? And even when there's a sickness involved or something, you just kind of don't want to, you don't want to experience a one-off. You don't want to experience this like, well, where'd that come from? Where'd that, where was that message was out of left field? And so he told me about your Behold Him uh, series. And so in a touch of irony and in, and really what I would say providence, God's uh, will that even though I, I didn't know it, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter five this morning and we'll get a head start in Hebrews um, and read a couple of passages there. But let's let's just pause for a moment as I listened earlier this morning of uh, uh, last week's message about Jesus's priest. Let's just pause for a moment and let's. Let's think about Jesus in his primary offices. It, Jesus, first of all, I'm sure you guys looked in detail at Jesus, the fact that he is a prophet. Now, he is the ultimate prophet. And what does a prophet do? A prophet declares the word of God and the will of God and the person of God. And Jesus, the eternal son of God, you can even say Jesus, the eternal God, the son comes to planet earth miraculously and is born of a virgin, lives his life perfectly, righteously, holy, grows in wisdom and in stature, Luke tells us, 
And then when he's about 30 years old, he is a prophet. He declares the will of God, the person of God, the the plan of God. But the beautiful thing and the amazing thing about Jesus as a prophet is that he's not only voicing the will of God and the person of God. He's embodying that person and that will at the same time. He is the ultimate prophet because as John tells us, the word. He, he was the word was in the beginning and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word word means message. It, it means a declaration. And that's exactly what Jesus is. He came to planet Earth to be a declaration of the person of God. The second thing that we need to understand about his offices is that he is priest. And man, I listened to that message from last week and I was struck with two things. Number one, you are blessed with Justin Holland as your pastor because he just opened up the scriptures to you and showed you the beauty and the depth and the amazing nature of Jesus as our great high priest. But I also was struck with your participation in that and your affirmation of that and your enjoyment of the reality of Jesus as your priest. There is no priest like Jesus. There have been myriads of priests, millions of priests, but none of them could ultimately and eternally take away your sins. But Jesus, the great high priest, has done that for us. That's where you've been. And this morning, we're going to go to the third office as Jesus as the eternal king. So let's just read a couple of passages in Hebrews, and then we will just take a look at Revelation 5 again. So let's begin by opening up to Hebrews 1, and we'll read verses Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You can stand for the reading of God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. 
Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, let's turn to Revelation 5. And Pedro did such an excellent job of reading Revelation 5. Very befitting of the highness of that moment. Since we've already read it once, let's do this. Let's silently be asking and answering the question, what does this passage reveal to us about Jesus? What does this passage reveal to us about Jesus? John is ushered into the throne room of heaven. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's cast away. He's the last apostle who is alive. And he's suffering under persecution. But he gets this vision from the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus lets John come into heaven itself. And it's almost like he's... he's looking through an eye hole of a door and looking into the throne room. And essentially, Jesus says, no, come on up here and let me, let me just in, let, let you in on what goes on in heaven. And in this case, it's what is going on in heaven prior to the ultimate and eternal reign of Jesus Christ on the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity. This is what's happening before the end which is also the beginning of all eternity. That's where we are here. And this is what John sees and this is what John hears. What does this tell us about Jesus? And so John says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back. Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scrolls and break its seals? And no one 
in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Blessed be God in the reading of his powerful word. You can be seated. I have one goal in these moments that we share together, and that is to simply show you the glory of Jesus as the eternal king in such a way that produces a heightened level of awe and reverence of your Savior. That's my only goal. And so, if we think of this passage in Revelation 5 as scenes. I would say that there are four primary scenes in this throne room. And I want us to consider each of those scenes. And the first scene that we see here is the pursuit of the worthy one. The pursuit of the worthy one. We see that in these opening verses because John says... I see in the right hand of the one who is sitting on the throne. Now, who is that? That's God himself. And God himself, we have seen in in Revelation chapter 4, that he is 
the creator. He is the king. He is the holy one. And everyone is surrounding this throne, giving God glory. And they are singing praise to God the Father, who is also God the judge. But in God's right hand is this scroll. And, and John is, is looking at that right hand of God seated on the throne. And, and this, this, this scroll, this parchment, if you will, that is rolled up is, is like a, what we would call a book. Except it's not a book like this. It's, it's like this wide piece of, of paper that has been rolled up and rolled up from each side. And, and what this scroll is, is essentially a deed. It's a deed. I, I, I recently sold um, a house. And, and, and well, my family did. We sold our house and we moved into another house and bought it. And both of those houses had deeds and had very technical language. And I remember signing over the deed to our former house that we had lived for 15 years. And the attorney then took that deed and was able to give that deed to the new owner of the house. It had very official language. And what it said in that deed was that that person now has all rights, all privileges, all responsibility and all authority over the house and the real estate belonging to it. Well, in a very light manner, this scroll is a deed. It is a contract. And if you notice, it has seven seals on it. And, and the, the, what would happen is, is there would be the details of that deed and they would roll it up and then seal it. More details of that deed. Roll it up and then seal it. More details of that deal. Roll it up and then seal it so that it was very official and that no one else could open it except the one who was worthy, who was possessing that deed and who had authority and responsibility and rights over that deed. And John is saying, I looked around and God is holding this in his, his hand on the throne. And then everyone is like, well, we want to see it because this deed is the deed to, to earth itself, the world itself and all of the universe. And the question is, is who is going to seize that deed and exercise rights, privileges and responsibilities to reign forever over all of the real estate that there is and that there ever has been and that there ever will be. And the angels looked around and the elders looked around and the saints who had died and already been ushered up into the presence of God looked around and nobody could find a worthy one who could hold that deed because no one was worthy. And so there's this pursuit of one who is worthy to open it up and declare its truths and to do exercise its power so that ultimate salvation can occur for all who have trusted in God. The pursuit of the worthy one. But then you have the proclamation of the worthy one as, as John is weeping as he's crying because he had given his life to God. He had followed Jesus in his earthly life. He had, he had, been suffer, he had suffered and been persecuted and even thrown out to this island because of his faith in Jesus. And now instead of joy, he has sorrow. And now instead of jubilation, he has depression because he's like, what, 
if, if there's not one worthy to bring about the salvation that I've longed for through Jesus, then what have I given my life to and what is my eternal future? And right as he's weeping and as he's sobbing over that sadness, one steps in. And one of the elders said, weep no more. So here, here you have the proclamation of the worthy one. And look at what this proclamation is. Behold, you're in a series. Behold him. He's saying, behold him. Fix your mind and your heart and your attention and your affection upon this one. I'm about to proclaim to you. Behold him. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. You have an interesting, interesting thing going on here. First is there's like these two designations of this worthy one. First, he is a lion symbolizing fury, strength. Highness, royalty among the animal kingdom, ferocity, if you want to call it that, very ferocious, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we, we see the strength and majesty and fury and ferocity on, on this one hand, but also connecting it back to the tribe of Judah. One who is part of the promises of God, the covenants of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One who is rooted in the people of God in the past. And then on the one hand, you've got the root of David. Now, one of the things that we know about Jesus is that he's called the son of David. And 14 generations and 14 generations removed, we see Jesus coming not only from David's side on the paternal but also from David's side on the maternal, and he is the son of David. But here, here he's called not the son of David, but what? The root of David, which implies what? Precedent. Like he came before David. He's the one who brought David into being. He's the one who preceded David. So not only is he the son of David, he is the root of David. In other words, he already was. And so the elder says, I'm proclaiming to you the one who is ferocious and mighty, the one who always was and preceded the covenants that have been made with God's people and with God's king, David himself. That's who I want you to see. But the irony here, which leads us into the third scene, and the third scene is the presence of the worthy one. John looks. And he's, and he's thinking he's going to behold this lion or maybe this root that's like symbolic or whatever. And church, what does he see? A lamb. A lamb. This is symbolic language. We know that. But, but there is a sense in which the lion is the lamb and the lamb is the lion. There's no contradiction here, but the one who is full of fury and majesty and might and royalty is also the one who is a lamb 
who is meek and mild and gentle and lowly. And all of that is combined into this one person. And he sees this lamb. And, and this lamb is, is amazing because what John sees with his eyes in the presence of this worthy one is not merely a pure lamb who is stainless and spotless. But what are some details that he notices about this lamb immediately? Yeah, it looks as if it had been slain. It looks like it had been executed, that it, it, had, been, it, it had been not only hurt, not only been, been somehow uh, damaged, but had been killed. But he's not dead because he's standing, the, the, the text tells us. And so John looks at this one, at this lamb that is pure, but also as if it had been slain. And here he is, the presence of the one who was worthy. And what happens? Let's read it yet again. And he went, verse 7, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, everyone, the living creatures, the elders, the angels, those holding harps, they all worshipped him. And they sang this song, worthy are you who've taken the scroll. And the reason he is worthy is the very reason why you are in the series you are in. Jesus is worthy because he is the ultimate prophet who has come and declared God's word to us and embodied it. He is worthy because he is the priest who not only gave the message about God, but he also appeases the wrath and judgment of God as a great high priest who, though he lived perfectly, he died as if he had lived sinfully. And though he had spoken righteously, he died as if he had been uh, had lived unrighteously and sinfully. He takes on the righteous wrath of Almighty God upon himself as a perfect priest could only do. And he absorbs all of the judgment and all of the punishment and all of the hell that you and I deserve for us so that God's wrath is appeased and we can be reconciled to God Almighty forever. And then once he has, he has done that, he dies and is buried into a tomb. And everybody thought that it was over for that Jesus from Nazareth. But on the third day, he defeated death and hell and sin and Satan and darkness itself. And he conquers all of those things by rising from the dead and ultimately exalting himself up into glory for all of eternity. And that is the reason why he is worthy. But what we don't get until now is the reality that while he's a prophet and while he's a priest, what does the future hold? I mean, what's really in it for us? And the reality is this, is that for all eternity, the worthy one can, can be looked at and be held. And not only, we can also be like him. You see, first John tells us that is that is that those children who have trusted in this worthy one not only get to behold him, but they get to embody his very righteousness for all eternity. He is worthy. And so you have the pursuit, the proclamation and the presence. Finally, let's look down and look at the praise of the worthy one. 
The praise of the worthy one. So what is the response of of the myriads of myriads, of the angels, of the elders, uh, of the saints? What what is the response of of the spirits of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Ruth? What's the response of Peter and James and John? What's the response of all who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus and in the promises of God? This is their response. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is He to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That is the response. The response of the ultimate prophet, priest, and now king is eternal joy and praise and celebration of one who has purchased for himself a people from every tribe and nation and tongue and language. And so, church, how would the Lord have us respond this morning? Well, I like to think of responses in terms of our our head and our heart and our hands. Like, how do we how do we respond to these truths that that in any way befit the the royalty of them? And I think, first of all, in our head, we need to know we need to know the truth that Jesus is the eternal king. And don't let the world the flesh or the devil convince you otherwise. And all three are doing their hardest to minimize the person of Jesus in your, in your mind. And I'm here to tell you on the basis of the word of God, all right, you need to know that Jesus is the eternal king and that one day to him, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So know that he is the eternal king. Our heart. He wants us to feel awe and gratitude at the same time. Like I know as as I was just meditating on this passage last night and this morning. It is hard for us to really get our mind and our heart around this scene because we've never been in it and we don't know what it's really like. I mean, it's been described to us, but there's just like a a distance between us and this scene. But what surely this does and what surely it compels God's people to do is to be in awe of this worthy one. Who while he is high and mighty is also meek and lowly. And not only does he say you must repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He also says come to me all you who are are lowly and all those who are struggling for I will give you rest. You see, he's this combination. So our hearts are in awe of not only the lion, but also the lamb. And we just need to bow down before him even today. And what does he want us to do? So if we're feeling awe and we're feeling reverence, what does he want us to do? I think that we need to sing to him. We need to declare his worth. We need to give our hearts and our minds the attention that he is so worthy. And then we need to live our lives in a way 
that unites our heart to his heart, that anticipates his royal reign, that that shows to not only to us, but to everyone around us that we prioritize the eternal king over anything of this world, that our hearts are his and that we belong to him. You see, I am convinced of this. I'm going to, as a people of God who have been redeemed out of darkness and into light, who have been rescued from the power of our sin and the pollution of our sin and, 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 the, and just the, the sheer magnitude of our sin over into the purity of Christ's righteousness and the promise of Christ's eternal reign as his people have been transferred. There is a sense in which the more we long for the eternal king, the more we worship the eternal king here, the more we uh, uh, prioritize the eternal king in the here and now, the more we will enjoy and celebrate the eternal king then and there. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but it just seems like the less... We long for the king here and now. The, 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 the less we're going to maybe be stunned in great celebration because we hadn't had that anticipation. And so today we have the opportunity to respond in one of these ways by singing to the eternal king and just letting our hearts be flooded By the reality that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He is the lamb who was slain. And he is the one who is going to return with those who have trusted in him. Both angels and saints alike. And create a new heavens and a new earth. And we will reign with him forever. If you believe that, then respond in singing and praising and praying to him in this moment. Thank you.